Tonight we are wrapping up our series, Goliath Must Fall. Wrapping up our series, Goliath Must Fall. And this whole series is all about, um, kind, of the, kind of the tagline is, what do you do? What do you do when your giant is bigger than you, right? What do you do when you're facing something that's like bigger than you and you're thinking, dude, I don't even stand a chance. I'm like the underdog and I'm facing Goliath and Goliath is bigger than me. And no matter how much I do, no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I like try really hard, it seems like I can't get rid of this giant. And I know for many of you in the room, like, you know what it's like to face a giant right? You know what it's like to face your own Goliath. Cause it's like, no matter how much you try, no matter how much like you tweet out, no matter how much you try and like work it out, you're just not able to defeat some Goliaths. In fact, there's some of you in the room that, uh, you were trying to defeat a Goliath last night. And specifically, I mean, your Goliath was Gwinnett County public schools, right? And you got all your friends together and you guys all tweeted out and you're like adding Javita Moore and you're like, you're trying to get it all figured out and you guys are praying and you're hoping <laughs> and the Gwinnett County Public Schools is like Goliath and it's like, ha, good luck. Good luck. You're going to school today. And so that's what happened for many of you. That was kind of your Goliath. It didn't, didn't really work out so well. Um, I actually, uh, I witnessed something this past weekend that I thought was pretty incredible. How many of you went to dig this past weekend? Okay, so this, what I'm about to tell you is a true story and it sounds made up or it sounds like I just thought of it, but I'm telling you, this is true. Um, at, at dig, we had this big, like kind of scary zip line. And uh, some of you went on the zip line. It's like, it's like crazy tall. It's like 60 feet, 70 feet in the air. And you got to climb up this rickety tower. Uh, and if you're, if you're not scared of heights, you get to the top of that thing. And then all of a sudden you become scared of heights. Like that's how tall this thing is. And then you're like strapped onto the zip line and you go like two or 300 feet down this. I mean, this thing is scary. Okay. Now this is true. One of our students... One of our students was scared to death, like just completely, completely scared of heights. But, but she was like, she was like, I'm going to face, I'm going to face this. I'm going to face my fear. And so this girl, scared of heights, went up there with her friend and then she gets to the edge. And those of you that went up to the edge, you know what I'm talking about. It's scary. It is like, like, like maybe you weren't scared before and then you get to the edge and you're like, oh, that's for real right there. So she gets up to the edge and she's like terrified of heights. And then she thinks of something and she says it out loud. And she says a phrase to like prompt her to give her some boldness. Like, like, like what could she say to give her the strength to go down that zip line? And that phrase that she chose right before she went on the zip line was this. Goliath must fall. <laughs> and I heard her say that. And I was like, that's awesome. And so she goes to the edge. She's like... Goliath must fall. And then she holds on and goes down the zip line. And I was like, well done. Well done, man. So it's awesome. It's awesome. Now this past, uh, this past week was actually really, really, really special for my wife and I, uh, this past Tuesday, some of you know this, this past Tuesday was Catherine's birthday. Yeah. And, uh, Many of you, many of you, like you texted her, you tweeted at her, like you just made her feel so loved. And there were like multiple moments throughout the day and throughout the night where she was just like smiling from ear to ear. And she's like, all these people are like texting me and they're just making me feel so loved. And it was awesome. And then I, I had 
like a little bit of a surprise for her. So the night before her birthday, I got her like a small gift, um, which by the way, if you're ever going to surprise, you know, your lady, guys, you can take notes. Always give her something, give her something small. So she thinks that's it. Okay. Throws her off the scent and then you got something better. So I gave her this like small little gift on Monday night. Um, just as kind of like, Hey, happy birthday. And then when, when we were kind of going up uh, to bed, I, I like went around and I got this other gift. That was the real gift. And I set it out on the kitchen table so that when she came down the next morning, she saw it. And so she came down the next morning and she was so pumped and she had no idea. And it was awesome. And then that night, uh, we went to our favorite or, or one of our favorite restaurants, uh, PF Chang's. You guys know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and we ordered my, my favorite meal. You guys should know this by now. What's my favorite meal? Thank you. Mongolian beef. And if you order anything else from P.F. Chang's, uh, you're wrong. Okay? So that's what you got to get at P.F. Chang's is some Mongolian beef. And then I actually took a picture of her uh, on her birthday. So, so this is a picture of her. Look at that, man. She's like... She's so, she's so cute. Guys, look away. Ladies, look at how good she looks, right? She's awesome. She's awesome. And so, uh, so anyways, we just got to celebrate her that day. And like my parents called her and her parents called her and had all these people kind of, you know, calling her and wishing her a happy birthday. And it reminded me of like why I love birthdays. Like I am all about birthdays. And the reason I love birthdays is because people celebrate you even though you don't do anything. Like, it's wonderful, right? Like, it's your birthday, and all you're doing is breathing, and people are, like, giving you gifts, right? They're like, hey, congratulations, you're alive like the rest of us, but they celebrate you, and it's awesome, right? And, like, and, and it's so beautiful because, because, like, again, you're not doing anything to earn it, just people celebrate you. And some of you might be thinking, well, no, no Steve, the reason they're celebrating me is because, like, 12, 13, 14 years ago, I was born, right? That's why they're celebrating. Okay. Well, um, here's my question to you. Did you do anything to make yourself born? Like, did you have any part? Like, no, you just showed up right on your birthday. We should celebrate your mom because she did all the hard work. That's right. And the dad, the, the dad did have something to do with it. He did. And, uh, so like, so, so, so like on the birthday, we should be like, mom, congratulations. 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago, you did something awesome, right? That was so good. But instead, here's what we do. We show up and it's your birthday and we give you gifts for just doing nothing, right? And I love it, man. I, I'm like, believe me, I'm all about it because my birthday is coming up. And on my birthday, I want to do nothing and I want you to celebrate me, okay? Like, I love it. I love it. But here's the deal. Um, this only works. This only works on your birthday. Because see, in ev- like every other day of the week, every other day of the year, life just doesn't work that way, right? Like if you're going to get celebrated, if people are going to say nice things to you, you got to earn it, right? Like you got to do something. And then once you do something, then people will kind of give you something. And so you got to make sure you do this and then people will like you and people will celebrate you. But don't do that because then they're not going to like you. In other words, and this is actually in your notes, relationships, every relationship we have, relationships work by cause and effect, Relationships work by cause and effect. In other words, you do something, that's the cause, and the effect is either someone likes you or they don't like you, right? So you do these certain things and someone's going to be all about you. You don't do these things and maybe they're going to like you, but, but if you do that, then they're not going to like you or if you, or, or if you forget about this or you don't do that, then people, they're just not going to like you, 
right? Relationships, whether it's a relationship with your parents, relationship with your best friend, relationships with your friends, with your coach, with your teacher, whoever, relationships always work by cause and effect. You do something and then they either like you or they don't like you. And so I just made a quick list. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is kind of a list of things you can do to make people either like you or not like you, okay? So the first one, say nice things, okay? If you say nice things to me, I'm going to like you. However, if you gossip or you lie about me, probably not going to like you, right? Like you say good things about me, I'm going to like you. But if you say those bad things, I'm not going to like you. Okay, here's another one. This is my favorite. Buy me food. That's how you get some friends. You say, hey, give me some Mongolian beef. Give me some Chick-fil-A. And then we're going to be like besties, you know? Like it's going to be awesome. We're going to be hanging out together. But, But if you eat without me... Right? Like, like there's nothing worse than your friend or you thought they were your friend and they come and they got some Chipotle and they never asked you if you wanted something. Right? It's cause and effect. You buy me food, I'm going to like you. You eat without me, I'm not going to like you. Here's the next one. If you hang out with me, right? If you hang out with me, we're going to be friends. If it's a snow day and we're getting together, we're probably going to be friends. But if you ignore me, oh, if you ignore me, it's on, right? We're not going to be friends. We're not going to be hanging out. Here's the next one. If you give me gifts, just buy me stuff, right? If you buy me stuff, we're going to be friends. However, if you steal from me, then we're probably not going to be friends. And then here's the last one. Give me a high five or like one of these or something, then we're going to be friends. But if you punch me in the face, probably not going to be friends, right? And see, we all know this. Like, like this, is, this is obvious to all of us, and, and chances are you've probably never, like, written out this list. But, like, somewhere, somewhere deep, kind of in the back of your mind, you've got your own list. And it's a list of things that you got to make sure you do so that she'll like you. Things you got to do so that he'll like you. Oh, but don't do those things because then they're not going to like you. Don't do that because if you do that, then they're not going to like you. But I got to make sure I do these things because if I do all these things, then people are going to like me. It's cause and effect. And I better not do these things because if I do those things, then they're not going to like me. And that's the way every relationship works. And so because of this, we think that because all these relationships work by cause and effect, we think, we think that our relationship with God works the same way, right? That like, like, like what are the things I got to do to convince God, to woo God, to, to kind of force God to actually like me? And so maybe this is the question that's on your mind. What do you do to cause God to like you? I mean, if it's true, right? If it's true that relationships work by cause and effect, then what do you do to cause God to like you? What are the list of things that God wants you to do so that he'll like you? Or what are the list of things that you can't do otherwise God's not gonna like you? Or maybe, and this is gonna get a little bit you know, kind of, kind of deeper, but I think, I think, I think God is in this. What do you do to cause God to love you? Like, not just like you, but what do you actually do so that God would love you? So that the God of the universe, the God that made everything would actually notice you and not just notice you, but actually care about you. What are the things you got to do? What are the things you got to stay away from so that God would actually love you? And see, we've been talking about this guy, David, And David is described as a man after God's own heart. So surely if anyone knew like the things that we got to do, if anyone had a list of what you got to do and what you can't do, it'd be David. And so I want to look together. I want to look together at a song that David actually wrote to God. He composed this song 
to God. And it's a really famous song that you've probably heard before. Because I think in there is the secret to what do you do to cause God to love you. So let's do this. I want to look together at this song. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. This is on page 584. Page 584. This is a song that God wrote to David. And just as a quick review, as you're turning there to page 584, many of you remember from like week one of Goliath Must Fall that we talked about this story of David and Goliath. And Goliath was this like, just he was this monster, right? He was huge. He was a big dude. In fact, does anyone remember how tall he was? That's right. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Nine feet, nine inches tall. And here's what happened, okay? It, it, was, it, was, it was two armies, two opposing armies. It was the Philistines, and those are the bad guys. It was the Philistines, which are the bad guys. And then on the other side, there were the Israelites, were the people of God. And they met right at this valley, and the valley was called the Elah Valley. And they met to go to war. And then from the bad guys, from the Philistines, this giant comes down, and he challenges all of Israel. He says, someone fight me. I dare you to fight me. And this nine foot, nine inches tall dude starts walking down into the Eli Valley. And as you can imagine, everyone was scared to death. Hey guys, guys, listen up. None of the people from the Israelite army actually wanted to fight Goliath. Because as you can imagine, when you're looking down into this valley, it's a guy who's nine feet, nine inches tall. And so everyone was scared. They were all shaking in their boots. And then David walks up. And David looks around and no one is willing to fight Goliath. And David says, I'll do it. And he begins walking down into the Elah Valley. And I got to imagine that his heart was like pounding out of his chest. I got to imagine that he was like nervous and so scared. Because again, everyone was scared to fight him. No one else dared to oppose Goliath. And yet here David is, just a little shepherd boy. And he's walking down into this valley to meet Goliath. And many years later, he was actually reflecting on this part of his story. And he included it in the song that he wrote to God. This is actually in verse 4. He says this. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I'm walking down into the Elah Valley to face this giant, even though I'm scared to death and I have no idea how this is going to turn out, even though there's a giant that's so much bigger than me and I don't even know if I stand a chance, even though I'm in this deep, dark valley. And some of you have been there, right? Like, like you've been in the valley and you know what I'm talking about. And maybe it was when your parents split up and you felt like you were in a deep, dark valley. Maybe it was all like the peer pressure that you felt from your friends. Or maybe, maybe it was like the friends that used to hang out with you, but now they've left and they're ignoring you and you feel like you're all alone and you're in this valley. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you have actually been in this valley or maybe some of you are actually in the valley right now. And David is writing this song to God and he says, look, even though I'm walking in this valley and I know what it's like to walk through a dark valley. And then this is what he says. Even though I'm in this darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I mean, I mean, can you imagine? He's walking down to face a monster that no one else dared oppose. And yet he says, I will fear no evil. And he doesn't say, I will fear no evil because Goliath's like not really that big of a deal because Goliath's just kind of a small dude. No, he doesn't say that. 
He doesn't say, I will, I will fear no evil because I'm the man and I've got it all figured out and I've been working at this really hard. No. He says, I will fear no evil because, and here's the reason, because you, God, are actually with me. The reason I'm not afraid is because I know that God, that God is with me. And I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Like, like, like we're talking about what it looks like to actually have a relationship with God, what it looks like to actually have God love you. And so many of you see that where you're like, well, that's great. Like, that'd be awesome if I knew that God was actually with me. But how do I know that I have a relationship with God? How do I know that God actually loves me? In other words, what do I need to do? What are the steps I need to take? What's the process I need to go through so that I can have this relationship? So I can have a relationship where I feel like God is with me even in my darkest valley. And then David begins to kind of unpack that for us. And he says something that's like, it's, it's a little strange, to be honest, when you first look at it. He says this. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> to which I'm like, okay, dude, I was with you, man. I was like, I was all about the valley. I, like, I got the valley thing. And I got the thing about God being with you. But like, your rod and your staff, what is he talking about? What's he talking about a rod and a staff for? What does that have to do with a relationship with God? But see, David was remembering before he ever met Goliath that he was a shepherd. And his job as a shepherd was to take care of these sheep. <laughs> and sheep are like really dumb animals. They just, they just kind of do whatever they want to do. And they don't really understand that like a wolf is a bad guy. Like don't go, go towards the like scary wolf with the sharp teeth. Sheep don't get that. So they're walking right towards it. And it was the shepherd's job to protect the sheep. And when the sheep wandered off, the shepherd would kind of corral them back together. And even if they had like all the sheep but one and the one was like out there in the mountains and it's scary, it was the shepherd's responsibility to go and bring the sheep back. And the shepherd had two things with him at all times. He had a rod and a staff. In fact, I was doing some research on shepherds because I'm not a shepherd. I don't really know much about shepherds. But, but this is what I found. Uh, listen to this. It says, in caring for his sheep, the shepherd will from time to time make a careful examination of each individual sheep. As each animal comes out of the corral and through the gate, it is stopped by the shepherd's outstretched rod. He examines the sheep with care to see if all is well. And this is a most searching process, entailing every intimate detail. It is to a comfort to be the sheep, for only in this way can its hidden problems be laid bare before the shepherd. And then it goes on. It says, finally, the shepherd's rod is an instrument of protection, both for himself and his sheep, as a defense and a deterrent against anything that would attack the sheep. And so here David is remembering what it was like to be a shepherd. And he remembers what it was like when all the enemies would try and attack the sheep and he had to protect the sheep and he had to make sure when the sheep wandered off that he would get the sheep back. And when the sheep did something dumb, then he made sure the sheep was okay. And he's remembering that and he's saying, God, when I'm walking down into the valley, I know what it's like to be a shepherd over sheep. And God, I'm a shepherd over sheep, but you are a shepherd over me. In other words, David is saying, God, God is my shepherd. It's God that is my shepherd. 
God's the one that's taking care of me. God's the one that when I wander off, he pulls me back. God's the one that protects me. God's the one that has a rod and a staff because God is my shepherd. In fact, this is how he starts the song off. At the very beginning of the song, he says this. He says, it's the Lord that's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so when he starts thinking about a relationship with God, when he begins to think about what does it take for God to love me and what do I need to do to cause God to love me and, 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 and all this stuff, he's thinking about God as a shepherd and himself as a sheep. In other words, this is our question, right? Our question is, what do you do? What do you do to cause God to love you? What are the things you got to do to cause God to love you? And I think if David were to step in, he would ask it a different way. He would say, what does a sheep do to cause a shepherd to love it? What does a sheep do to cause a shepherd to love it? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> nothing. The sheep doesn't do anything. See, it's, it's the shepherd that cares for the sheep. In other words, and this is in your notes, the sheep does nothing. The shepherd does everything. The sheep does nothing, but the shepherd is the one that does everything. The shepherd is the one that defends the sheep. The shepherd is the one that brings the sheep back when the sheep runs astray. The sheep does nothing. The shepherd does everything. And see, this is true for your relationship with God too. It's not about what you do. It's about what God does. And more specifically, it's about what God already did. See, because 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to be your shepherd. In fact, while Jesus was here on earth, he said something kind of strange. And I want to look at it together. Jesus looked at his followers and he said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> so you've heard that the Lord is my shepherd. Like you understand that God is supposed to be the shepherd, but now I'm here to tell you I am that shepherd. It's me. I'm the shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, see, it's not just about you trying to do something to convince God to love you. That's not the way the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep goes. And that's why when Jesus was here on earth, he says, I'm a shepherd. And the same way, the same way a shepherd will go after his sheep that have gone astray, I'm going after you. In fact, there's many stories where the sheep would get into danger and the shepherd would actually like endanger himself for the sake of the sheep. The shepherd would hurt just to save the sheep. And that's why, even though you were the one that wandered off, even though you were the one that made the mistake, it's Jesus that took the penalty. See, because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was falsely accused and he was sentenced to die on the cross. 
And even though he had done nothing wrong, he laid down his life willingly. But he did it because he loves you. Because you and I are messed up sheep. And we've wandered off. And we've made decisions that we regret. (laughs) And if this were like a cause and effect thing, then from everything that we've done, we don't deserve to have God love us. But thankfully, God doesn't work by cause and effect. See, a shepherd has a rod and a staff. And Jesus had a cross. And on this cross, he laid down his life to rescue you. Sacrifice his very life because he wanted to bring you back. So the only question I want to ask tonight is this. Will you accept God's sacrifice for you? Will you accept God's sacrifice for you? See, there's some of you in the room that you've already accepted God's sacrifice. For a few of you, it was actually just a few days ago at Dig, that you said yes to Jesus for the first time. He said, yeah, I know I messed up. I know I've messed up, but I know I can be forgiven because of what God did on the cross. And for others of you, that was like maybe a few months ago or maybe even a few years ago that you said yes to Jesus. And maybe tonight you've been reminded about how much God cares about you. And you've been reminded that it's not about you. It's not about the things that you got to do to earn God's love, that he gives it to you freely. But the reason he gives you that love is because Jesus died for you. But I know also there's some of you in the room that you've never said yes to Jesus. That you've never accepted God's forgiveness the sacrifice that God made for you. And I want to give you a chance to make that decision right now. So here's what I want to ask you to do, just across the room. If we can all like bow our heads, just close our eyes. First, I want to talk to those of you in the room that you've already said yes to Jesus. You've already accepted the sacrifice of the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. If that's you, man, I'm so excited for you. I'm so grateful that you've said yes to Jesus and you've got a relationship with God. And I pray that you would continue to realize that it has nothing to do with the things that you do. And it has everything to do with what God has already done for you. But now I want to talk to those of you in the room that you have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've only been coming for like a few weeks or a few months Maybe you've been wondering how I can actually have a relationship with God like David had, where he walked down into the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he didn't fear anything because he knew that God was with him. And maybe you've been wanting that relationship, but you never knew how. Or maybe tonight's the first night that you realize that you messed up and that you've done things that you regret, and there's shame and there's guilt piled up, and you don't know how to get rid of it. And maybe tonight is the night that you realize that you don't have to get rid of it. It's Jesus that gets rid of it. And so if that's you, and you've never said yes to Jesus, and tonight is the night that you want to accept his sacrifice for you, and I want to pray a prayer over you. 
So with everyone bowing down and keeping their eyes closed, if that's you, I want you to just repeat this in your mind after me. God, I'm sorry. I know that I'm like a sheep and I've gone astray. I know that I've made decisions that upset you. I know I've messed up. But I also know that you died for me so that I can be forgiven. So because Jesus died, I ask that you would forgive me. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he did not stay dead, but by the power of God, you raised him to life. And because Jesus is alive, I know that I can have eternal life with you.